Welcome to the Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective with your host, Joel Sedicate. And now get ready to think. All right. Well, welcome back to the Think Podcast with Joel Sedicate. I'm Joel Sedicase, and this is the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective to help you explain, share, and defend the Christian message. Now, today we're going to be talking about a very important topic, and it's one that I think a lot of people might be a little bit more reticent to tackle. Um the reason why is because once you start talking about this particular issue, um, it, it can rustle some jimmies, as they say. It can ruffle some feathers. Uh, it can make people um, uh, tear their clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and sprinkle uh, dust on their heads. And um, the reason why is because we're talking about it's, – it's a topic that is very personal for a lot of people. And um, I'll give you an example before I tell you what the topic is. Yesterday, uh, my kids and I belong to this UFC gym. And uh, yesterday I was in the sauna and uh, afterwards, you know, just heating up after a workout and uh, detoxing a little bit. And I I met this dude in there and, uh, you know, we got to talking. It's a great place for guys to have conversation. We got to talking and I found out this gentleman had, um, had grown up in the United States, but he had come from um, another country south of the border. And he came over when he was very young, three years old. And I asked him, I said, do you remember anything about your, your old country? And he said, uh, no, I don't, but I remember it in dreams. And sometimes I'll have dreams about, you know, where I used to live. And I'll ask my mom or my dad, you know, um, did we ever have this? Did we ever have that? You know, I'm remembering these things in my dreams and they, they'll say, yes, we do. We did have that. We did love there. And so this guy, um, I don't, I don't know what his status is in terms of, um, whether or not he is here, you know, technically legally or illegally, but I know for him, this topic is going to be a very, very personal one. So if you haven't figured it out yet, we're talking about the topic of immigration and I have with me today, someone who is returning to the think podcast. This is someone that we had on, oh, maybe a month and a half ago, a couple months ago to talk about. Um, wokeness and Marxism and the radical left. And today we're talking about a topic that is adjacent to all those issues because immigration um, is a major political football right now, especially it's oftentimes used as a bludgeon by those on the left to strike right oftentimes. And it's also used um, by people on the right as uh, a way of riling up their base. So what I'm hoping today that we can do, and I'm very, very confident that this is what we will do, given who I have on, is I'm hoping that we can dive deeply into God's word and into the Christian way of thinking, the biblical mindset here, the biblical worldview, and draw deeply from the wisdom that God has for us in tackling this issue of immigration. My goal today, I don't think we're, we're not trying to strike right down the middle and have some kind of a centrist position. Rather, we're trying to have a biblical position as we always want to do on the ThinkPod in understanding this issue, but we want to do this with all issues. And of course, all these issues are related because as Christians, we believe that everything is interrelated. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. So before I get off on a soap, soapbox now and uh, start pontificating here and, and, and uh, philosophizing and bloviating, I'm going to go ahead and bring our guest on. Um, our guest today is Pastor Erwin Lutzer. So let's bring him on now to the stream. Pastor so Luther. Glad, so glad to be with you today, Joel. And uh, I don't know how come you have blessed me in this way to put me in the midst of this controversy. And uh, I might immediately begin by saying I didn't know what the questions were going to be until a couple of hours ago when you emailed them to me. And I was on another project. So I'm not going to have the last word about the whole issue of immigration, but I do have some convictions I would like to share. And then we can go from there. And maybe you and some of the listeners have more wisdom than I, but um, we'll at least open the dialogue for sure. Well, that sounds perfect to me. And, you know, I'm, 
I'm really expecting this to be a kind of a free flowing conversation. Uh, there's not a script necessarily in advance, although of course I do have some talking points. Um, I try to prepare for these interviews, but I know that this is a, a topic that you have um, thought deeply about. And I also know that when you want to present something with wisdom, I know that you're going to be drawing from God's word. And that I think more than anything right now, Pastor Lutzer, is where we need to be gaining our answers from, because this is an issue that is very fraught. It's it's very uh, complicated, convoluted, and yet God's word is clear. So that's what I'm hoping for today. Um, and as you said, maybe we can start the dialogue. Let me just encourage anyone who's watching live right now, whether you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook, this is an opportunity for you to join the conversation. So um, first of all, if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Make sure you hit that bell and that'll make sure that you don't miss a moment of the excellent conversations that we have here on the ThinkPod. Um, and then after this talk is done, can I encourage you to go back and browse our our back catalog. I've got another conversation with um, with Pastor Lutzer, where we're talking about the radical left. Uh, that one's called "We Will Not Be Silent," and then or silenced rather. And then um, I've got uh, two episodes with another Moody pastor, Roy Schwartz, and um, who also happens to be my father-in-law. So go back; you can watch those as well. And um, Buckle in. Let us know if you have any comments, any questions. You can post them in the chat below, and we'll do our best to get to those at the end. Um, but in the meantime, let's go ahead and, and get started. So, um, Pastor Lutzer, as we're as we're thinking about immigration, what's a good starting point for us? Um, how do we begin to enter into this topic as Christians, and how do we begin to do that without leaving our Christianity, you know, behind us? Well, I'd like to begin, first of all, by saying if you had your father-in-law on and if you were talking, if he was talking about immigration, I don't know why you blessed me with uh, being involved in the same topic. I know your father-in-law very well. We went to Israel together and we've been great friends for many years. Here's where I would like to begin. In order to think clearly about the doctrine of immigration, let's begin by differentiating the church and the state. You know, there are many people who say, oh, you know, we should have open borders. I even heard a pastor say a couple of years ago, oh, well, of course we should have open borders because after all, the gospel is for everyone, whosoever will may come, and therefore whoever wills should be able to come into our country. So let me make it very clear that I disagree with that point of view for many different reasons. But in the Bible, the symbol, actually, the symbol of the state is the sword. Romans chapter 13, the symbol of the church is the cross. So the cross can say, whoever will may come. The cross can say that... Uh, you know, if somebody smites you on the on the left cheek or the right cheek, turn the left. The church can say that to individuals, but you cannot run a state that way. If you were to apply the wisdom that comes to us from the scriptures that belongs to us as Christians living in this world at the foot of the cross, if you were to apply that to the state, uh, we'd have just let Nazism overrun the country, overrun the world, because after all, you know, we're not going to resist anything. Uh, the the Whatever happens, happens. No. Right. The morality and the laws that are laid out for the state have to do, first of all, with the protection of its own people. There's nothing in the Bible, Joel, that I know about that says that... Um, you know, uh, no country has a right to protect its borders. Right. Now, given your history, I know for sure that you know that when God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you the land, God drew borders. And God says, you know, these are the borders. It goes from here to here and from here to here. And uh, that's going to be the borders of your land. Now, this is very important for people to understand that the responsibility of the state has to do with the protection and the order 
of its citizens. Now, having said that, of course, we should have legal immigration. Your friend, I don't know how he came over or what the background was and so forth, but, you know, we cannot have open borders and think to ourselves that this is being done under the guise of compassion. You know that um, one of our politicians, as you know, made the statement that a mother with a baby in her arms is not a criminal. Well, no, of course she's not a criminal. And I wish that America could take every mother that has a baby in her hands, but that's not possible. And it's not possible to have those mothers come without having their sons come and their uncles. And all of us know right now, in fact, just at noon, in other words, less than two hours ago or about two hours ago, I was watching the news and a headline came that some smugglers and some drug smugglers were apprehended at the border. That's just a few in comparison to the number that are crossing. And so wouldn't it be wonderful if in a fallen world, we were able to just distinguish between the mother and her baby in her arms who is fleeing persecution or poverty. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could distinguish her from all the others? It seems to me that that's the task of legal immigration. You know, being able to have an orderly process, which I don't think we have. I don't know much about the process of immigration right now, but I think it's probably quite convoluted. And of course, we see the open borders that we have today, which I think are very destructive. So let's establish, first of all, that the state has a responsibility. The cross is entirely different. You know, when the Good Samaritan was going along from Jerusalem to Jericho and a man fell among thieves and was wounded, the Good Samaritan didn't say to him, now, wait a moment, what country are you from? Are you here legally? He saw a need and he met it. And that's the responsibility of the church, to see needs and to meet those needs in the name of Christ. But having said that, that's not the responsibility of the state. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, um, we actually just had a question come in from Nate Werner, who's watching on YouTube. And, um, it's about your point about the, the mother with a child. And, you know, you, you expressed the desire to have compassion towards the mother with her child who, who wants to come in, but also the danger of, of, of having an open border where we have no, no process, no, no legal process for letting them in. But what Nate asks is if a mother with a baby in her arms is violating immigration laws, how is she not a criminal? It's a horrible state to be in, but I don't see qualification. So, um, yeah, how, how would you answer that? Well, you know, the, the truth is that if you ask me and pin me down on that, I would say that the mother with her baby in her arms should not have unqualified access to enter a country. Okay. That's where legal immigration comes in. Got it. That's, That's where, where we need a process. immigration process is. I'm not saying that we should open the border to every mother and her baby uh, that is throughout the world. But the point that I'm making is we understand the compassionate side of immigration but even that has to be subject to law. Of course, right. a person who violates it. And by the way, while I'm at it, and I don't want to be on a soapbox here, because we're going to talk about the Old Testament in a few moments, I'm sure. But while I'm at it, isn't it interesting that all the people who don't want any wall are the ones who live in walled communities, often with guards? <laughs> right. And if somebody were to come over the wall, the first thing they would do is call the police. But somehow they want houses and communities that have walls, but they don't care whether or not the country has walls. Well, why don't, if somebody's crawling over your fence in your community, let him. He might be hungry. Maybe he's looking for food. Right. He's had a bad shake in life. Show a little bit of compassion. Well, you know that that doesn't happen. And it's rational that that doesn't happen. But somehow when it comes to the border, it's okay because it seems compassionate. And you know what? After all, other people pay the bills. It doesn't affect you. 
you know, this um, whole idea, I'm thinking, of course, of Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake. You know, they have no bread. Let them eat cake. Right. As long as you're within the walls of your palace, everybody else out there can suffer just as long as you don't have to. And in the case of those who believe essentially in open borders, they don't have to suffer either. But, oh, it seems so compassionate. But what we have to do is to take a longer term, uh, longer point of view, I mean, and simply not say, well, because we make an allowance for her, now all mothers can come in and so forth. I didn't mean to imply that. So you didn't mean to to imply that, um, th just what you said, the, the, no. the mother with the child coming in, we can certainly recognize her plight. We can want to have compassion, but... Um, you drew that distinction between the responsibility of the church, whose symbol is the cross, versus the responsibility of the state, whose symbol. And I, I hear you drawing from Romans 13 there, where it says the prince does not bear the sword in vain. And so the symbol of the state being the sword, the state's responsibility is to punish evil, to protect its people. And and you see that, it sounds like, being... Um, the the way that that's put into practice at the border is through immigration, both keeping out people who want to, to violate the laws, but also upholding those laws and making sure that there is a legal process for people to come in. Does that, would you say yeah. that that's correct? Yeah. And you know, if, if we're going to jump to the old Testament. Yeah. I'm I wanted to ask you about that. I'm Where do we go in, in scripture for that? To, yeah. to find these principles. You know, for example, when Abraham went into Egypt, even when there was a famine in the land, notice that Pharaoh was well aware of it. It was Pharaoh who welcomed him in. Now, when he was there, Abraham sinned, and then Pharaoh told him to leave, and he left. <laughs> uh, so the point is that borders were recognized right from the beginning of the Bible, and I already mentioned Abraham. And then, uh, you know, there are those who say, well, you know, Jesus when he was a baby, his parents went into Egypt. A couple of things about that. First of all, we have no indication necessarily that they violated any laws. So let's right. put that on the table. But secondly, how can that be somehow a symbol for American foreign policy? I don't think so. Why not? So, well, the point is simply this, once again, it would just be open borders. If if you have a situation where somebody is fleeing like that, and if there are no borders between the countries and there's no evidence that they broke any laws, we can't take a story like that and apply it to American immigration policy and say, well, that means that we have to welcome everyone into our borders who shows up. Okay, so that's not an argument. That's not a biblical argument no, for open no, borders. It's not a biblical argument. It's a historical incident, but you can't take that and transfer it to American policy. Okay, so then if if that if we can't take that and transfer that over to American policy, and yet we do want to think about these, um, we we want so maybe I'll maybe I'll phrase it this way, Pastor Lutzer. So let's say that um, someone that you're discipling is is a newly elected um representative or has just been appointed border czar you know um kind of like uh vice president harris right now has been appointed the czar of the, you know the immigration crisis at the border right now um but let's say there was someone who is a christian someone that you've been discipling and they've come to you and they said pastor lutzer we um we need to handle this crisis uh i want to do it as a christian i recognize Everything you just said about borders being a biblical concept it, from Abraham to Christ. How should I think about border law? I, I have freedom here. I have jurisdiction to enforce the existing laws and, and even to propose new laws. What should a Christian doctrine of immigration look like? Who should we let in? Who should we keep out? And how do I, as a Christian, honor Christ in how I'm doing that? What? How, how would well, you counsel that person? <laughs> you know, you're putting an awful lot of responsibility on that one person if he sort of controls the border and all. Fair uh, enough. Well, the border czar, uh, as in our case, the vice president who flew to El Paso recently yes. and then returned. 
Here's, did, she go, here's, did she go down and visit? I didn't see if she did or not. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think she was at the border, but she was at the airport and did a few things there That's and close. had some photo ops and so forth. But <laughs> okay. here's, here's the point. Let's take Israel to answer that question. Okay. In the Old Testament, God says you welcome the foreigner. Now, does that mean... And first of all, to make the issue very clear, and you would agree with this, Joel, given your background, I know your father-in-law would agree, that the church is not Israel, first of all. So once again, we can't transfer exactly what happened to Israel with all of these ancient nations swirling around and uh, transferred over to America. But maybe right. there are some things we should learn. When someone was allowed into Israel, that foreigner, they were not allowed to bring their religion and their laws with them. They came there on the condition that they would convert, that they would then belong to the nation Israel and identify with them both in religion and in law. Now, in America, we don't have that. And by the way, you know, I was, um, if you might remember, I was actually born in Canada, though I'm now an American citizen. I have to say that the Constitution of the United States is a remarkable document. Yeah. I recognize that. It, it really is. As I think about the government, and the older I get, the more appreciative I have of its checks and balances, how they wanted the people to govern, and yet they didn't want to have this supreme ruler. And, uh, you know, the very fact, for example, even in Israel, that Netanyahu had to step down because Israel is a democracy. Right. I mean, that is really a powerful statement to many of the other countries of the world. But that being said, and I know that this is controversial, so nobody has to write me long emails about how wrong I am. <laughs> But I believe that anyone who enters America should agree with American values. That does not mean that they have to agree with our religion, because that was not the intention of the founding fathers and the Constitution. The Constitution, you know, undoubtedly uh, was written by people who believed that religion was absolutely necessary for the coherence of the country, but they were not yeah. making it mandatory. Right. So you could go to church or not go to church. You could believe or not believe. Freedom of conscience. That being said, American values of freedom, those should be agreed to. You should not be allowed to come into America to bring your own religion in the sense of being subversive with the intention of not, um, what's the word that I want? In, um, uh, you help me here, Joel, without uh, the, uh, the assimilation or assimilation. That's mm -hmm. the word that I was looking for at my age. Sometimes the words that you're looking for aren't immediately there. You'll, in my age too, so. You'll learn that later. <laughs> but the point is that assimilation of language, assimilation of freedom of religion, assimilation of respect for this country, mm -hmm. all of that should really be required of anyone who enters. Yeah. You know, my parents were Germans. They were brought up in the Ukraine. They came to Canada and uh, they spoke German, but they learned English as best they could. And we were out in the farm. And so the connection that they had with English people was limited. But when they moved into the city in their later years, they did everything they could to learn English, and they learned it well enough to have a conversation with anyone about anything, because they understood that we are now Canadians first and Germans second. Ah, uh, okay. We're not going to come here and we're going to say, now, we are Germans and we don't have to abide by Canadian laws and right. we don't have to buy into this country. You're, we're going to use it for our own benefit but there's no way we're going to assimilate. Yeah. Assimilation means that you adhere to the values of the country, that you learn a language. I'm on a soapbox here, so I'll just keep going for a moment. Keep rolling. Keep rolling. <laughs> Sometimes you hear diversity is our strength. Oh, yeah. 
by that you mean it's wonderful to go to different restaurants run by people from different countries and oh, yeah. learn different foods, then diversity is a strength. Yes. But if you continue to have your own language, let's go back to the Tower of Babel. I was just thinking Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel. God didn't say, now I'm going to scatter you among the earth because I'm going to put different languages on your tongue. And you know what? Diversity is going to be your strength. That'll you know, be your diversity strength. Diversity is going to tear you apart yeah. and put you into different uh, areas of the world. And that's exactly what it did. And the cohesion of language was broken and therefore... You know, uh, the whole enterprise of the Tower of Babel yeah. had to end. So this idea that people can come here and say, we're not going to learn English. We're going to maintain our own religion. We're going to live in our own conclaves. We're going to do all that we can to undermine American values, which if I might say, is oftentimes true of extreme Muslims. I'm not talking about the Muslims that have assimilated. Sure. Thankfully, most of them have. Yeah. But there are quotations in a book I've written and in a chapter that I have on immigration in which I quote the Quran, in which I quote some of the leading Muslim authorities who say, in effect, that we are not here in America to assimilate. We are here to propagate our own values, yeah. our own agendas. That's not what America should be about. So what and are those? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So I, it seems to me that if you immigrate to a country, you should buy into that country. That doesn't mean that the country is perfect. America certainly isn't. But it means that you're not there to be subversive. You're not there just to take advantage of it and then do all that you can to undermine its values. Yes. And um, speaking of you know undermining its values, um, and I, I like that. The, the distinction you made between diversity being our strength in one sense. I mean, having done ministry in Chicago for so many years, um, I know you know this. I, I have done ministry in Chicago for years as well, not, not nearly as long, but having lived in Chicago, I love being able to go down the street and, you know, there's a Middle Eastern place and a Mexican place and, you know, uh, an, an Irish pub and a, you know, fast food restaurant and, and everything is all there. But, but, um, those communities where there is a lot of diversity, um, if there's not immigration assimilation, um, you, you don't have cohesion. You can actually have diverse populations living in close proximity to each other that actually have no shared sense of community. And, um, I think in, in a certain respect, you see that even on Devon Avenue, which is one of the most diverse, yeah. um, areas, I think in the nation, but you have, you know, Hindu and Muslim populations that live in close proximity, but there's not that cohesion because different religions, different language, different customs um, that don't blend. But, but still, but still, Joel, isn't it true that you go into all of these restaurants, and I know Devon Avenue, uh, yeah. English is spoken. That's isn't? true. That's you know, true. There, there is some cohesion there because they That's all decided point. that at least, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of experience there, but years ago, I remember being on Devon Avenue. You know, you could go in a restaurant that might be Indian or whatever, but you'd speak English and you were understood. Yep. And so there was at least that cohesion. But That's a where, great point. Yeah. Where you have people who say, we're not even going to learn the English language because we are bringing our ethnicity with us. And that is more important to us than our american values yeah i so, think that that can be very destructive i think it can be very destructive and this is something we should probably address is when we're talking about american values that can be something that's very nebulous um you have some people who point back to say the american dream of the 1950s others who point back to say the pre-civil war the antebellum era others who point back to the the founding uh you know the founding fathers that we think of and some who go back to the puritans and pilgrims who who settled here in the the 1600s when you think about those quintessential american values pastor lutzer um 
I know that you're not, you, you wouldn't require, you wouldn't overthrow freedom of conscience and say everyone must convert and become Christians. Although, of course, we would love to see that. That would be wonderful. Um, if it was a heart conversion, not a, you know, just one outwardly. But what are those quintessential American values that you would point to? Language you well, mentioned, what else? Well, I think, for example, the freedom of conscience, that if you want to believe, oh. you can. If you don't want to believe, you don't have to. And therefore, freedom of speech, which is being abridged today because of our woke culture and where it is spoken against. And by the way, in the book that you interviewed me about a month or two ago, entitled We Will Not Be Silenced, I talk there about all of the uh, pressure that is on people today, and that pressure has to do with making sure that you don't say anything beyond certain bounds, and the basis actually is in Marxism. And of course, you have big tech in line with big government nowadays, and big tech is doing the will of big government, and uh, that, of course, is contrary to American values. You should be able to speak your mind within reason without being vilified. So yes. that that's, I guess, what I mean when I talk about American values. I also talk about to the extent that we can have equal opportunity for people. Obviously, I'm not talking about segregation and slavery. Those are dark blots on American history. That's not the history and the values that I'm talking about. So we should do all that we can to have equal opportunity without thinking for a moment that we should have equal outcomes. Yeah. And that if one community is doing better than the other, it's doing so on the backs of others and therefore illegitimately is becoming wealthy. When it could be that that community has figured out how it can become wealthy, hopefully legally, and so hopefully, yeah, we need to we need to recognize this, and uh, therefore allow for those kinds of freedoms. I think immediately of freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, and therefore also freedom of thought. Yeah, freedom of thought is really kind of the end game, isn't it? Because if you take away freedom of assembly, uh, you which, um, you know, maybe you'd agree I, there was at least some push of that during the COVID lockdowns, but we're seeing that in Canada, your, you know, your land of origin right now. You take away that, you take away freedom of speech. Isn't the end game freedom of thought? That's sort of the totalitar totalitarian mindset to take away the freedom to even think for oneself. Well, once again, you know, you're pushing some buttons here, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do here, tend to do that. Point. Here's the point. The radical left in America wants to use language cut off from their regular meanings yeah. so that they mean something else. And they do this in various ways. One way is to intimidate people. I don't know whether or not you saw the list. I think it was at Brandeis University. These words should not be used. For example, yeah. don't if there's a barber shop, don't say that he takes walk-ins because it might be offensive to people who can't walk. Oh, I mean, no. that's what it's getting to. That, oh, that no. was one of the list of unapproved words. Now, if you go through this list, you're totally paralyzed, and that's the point. They want oh. to make you silent. The other thing that is done is argumentation is taken from rational ideas to uh, become an emotional problem. Right. So if you're opposed to same-sex marriage, like I am, and you probably are too, of you're course. actually homophobic, you see. Right. In other words, we don't have to deal with the issue. You have a problem and and so forth. If you're yeah. for strong borders, which obviously I'm in favor of, mm -hmm. as I've emphasized in this talk, you are actually a bigot. Right. So, and if you are opposed to abortion, you hate women. So <laughs> this is another technique right. that is taken where legitimate ideas are put in the trash can, so to speak, and transferred to phobias, because after all, if you have a phobia, there isn't much that we can do for you, and you should actually go to a psychiatrist right. because you need emotional help. 
Now, I didn't read the book written by um, a young man whose name doesn't occur to me right away. He's a Jewish man who is very conservative. Ben, ben, ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro. Yes. But I love the title of his book. <laughs> I just saw it yesterday. The title of his book is Facts Don't Care How You Feel. <laughs> <laughs> you have to love that. You have to love that. So, so that's another way. The other point is to be able to get people to be totally humiliated if they disagree with the cultural streams yeah. that you are trying to promote. And then, of course, I'm on a roll here, but you also use words to camouflage huge, huge evil. Mm -hmm. For example, when Hitler starved children, he called it putting them on a low-calorie diet. Mm -hmm. the, the slaughter of the Jews was cleansing the land. Yeah. When it came to such things as euthanasia, it was applying the best of therapy. So what you do is, instead of therapy. speaking about abortion as a woman's right to kill her preborn infant, you take it out of that realm and you say it's reproductive care. Yeah. In other words, Language is used to camouflage what people, what may be a really gross evil. So in these ways, propaganda continues to roll. Now, I probably mentioned this on your show last time, and then we can get back to the issue of immigration. I think it's all related. So, But let's remember that the purpose of propaganda is to so shape people's view of reality that even when confronted with a mountain of evidence, they will not change their minds. That's yeah. the end goal. And then beyond that is another goal that um, Huxley pointed out. And that was that eventually that people would love their servitude. Yeah. Uh, they would love Big Brother. If you remember in 1984, the people end up worshiping Big Brother, right. uh, who was surveilling them and controlling them and so forth. And by the way, speaking of the use of language, Anyone who had independent thought was actually taken to the ministry of love right. and uh, reprogrammed so that he could love Big Brother. Mm -hmm. So it was the ministry of love. Right. So what you have is all of these word games to actually end freedom of thought. Because if you uh, take away words and their usual meaning, uh, people cannot think. And they yeah. cannot express what they believe because, after all, the words don't mean what they used to mean. And so it sounds like, I mean, if we're going to tie all this together, it sounds like there are two imperatives or or two goals that we need to have. And, and tell me what you think of this. On the one hand, there's the goal that we do have a a rational legal process of people being able to come into this country and assimilate to and, and adopt at least some baseline values, freedom of thought, freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, which, you know, which are sort of the baseline for being able to function and have a cohesive society. On the other hand, there's also this ideological battle where we need to make sure that those values stay our core values because, um, it's, it's a lot harder to call people to assimilate to American values if we don't have shared American values. If, if there is no common understanding that freedom of thought, freedom of, freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, that these are our core values. Is that right? Is there sort of a, is there sort of a, a, a dual, uh, I don't know if you want to call them two battlegrounds or two, two frontiers. I don't know what you'd call them, but these are both goals well, that we ought to have. Yes. Could you maybe summarize it this way? We have a battle beyond our borders to make sure that people who come in agree with our values, but we have an even bigger battle within our borders where you have people who believe that they should tear down the entire structure yeah. because it is at its core irredeemably racist. And the only way that you can do that is, of course, to tear down all the existing institutions where even mathematics as you know, there's some professors out there whom I quote in another thing that I'm writing. Uh, mathematics, they are saying that that is really a uh, white man's uh, racism. 
because yeah. after all, it believes in objectivity. That's actually the point that it's getting to. And on and on it goes where everything is racist. And right. if you don't agree, just call somebody a racist and you've won the argument because people aren't interested in ideas if they are willing to simply accept, uh, you know, negative labels. Yeah. So that's where we're at. I think that the the issue that we have outside of our borders, that that issue, even though it's very serious because you have all these drugs, you have sex trafficking and so forth, I think that the issue within our borders is equally as great and maybe even greater because if the core falls apart at the core, then we really don't know where to go from there. Yeah. I think that's that's a really, really good point. We we don't know where to go. And, you know, this is why I was excited to talk with you about this because I I I really want us to be able to um well let me say this. I want to get something out there on the public record that is uh that can be used as a guide for how to think about these things biblically. Because when values are in flux and we don't Either we don't have a national sort of common shared understanding, or there are, that that shared understanding is highly contested. It is so vital, I believe, for us as Christians to be able to go back to God's word, the bedrock of our faith and the bedrock of our lives, and to be able to say, even if the whole world is in flux and doesn't have a reference point, we do have an absolute reference point. That reference point is is God and His word, and and, you know, that's sort of our touchstone um, for yeah. thinking about these ideas. And and this is so important for people to understand. I've been repeating this over and over again in various interviews. <laughs> I'm sure. We do not need freedom of religion in order to be faithful. You just have to ask the martyrs. Uh, they were faithful without freedom of religion. Right. So I don't know. When I was growing up, we used to sing a song that, I don't think anybody sings it nowadays. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Isn't it true that one of the stanzas says, though none go with me, still I will follow? Did you absolutely. ever hear that song, Joel? Of course. Absolutely. You did. You did. Yes. Those of us who were born into Christian homes and went to church early yeah. in life, we uh, sometimes sang that song. So the point is, it's very important for us to realize that God has prepared the church and he has given us the resources for this present hour. Mm. And it's not necessary for us to win on earth in order to win in heaven. Amen. Because there are things that are happening around us where I don't believe, for example, we can take the culture back. We've crossed too many boundaries. We've kicked over too many traces when it comes to certain things. And so what do we do? Do we simply hold back and say that we're going to uh, go into our little corner and we are going to stay here? Or do we recognize that this is the moment to which we have been called and we are going to stand for truth and take the consequences, no matter how negative it may be? Even if you are vilified, even if you are evil spoken against, and you have some kind of a phobia, <laughs> the fact is you and I just need to stand. It's a whole new day in America, hmm. and what we need to do is to do that and to realize that when you study church history, that's always been the stance of the church. The church hmm. has always been an island of righteousness in a sea of paganism. Yeah. So uh, before we leave, I, I want to go back to something I said at the beginning about the whole immigration thing. In the yeah. early church, babies were routinely left to die in the streets if the parents didn't want them. Yeah. What happened is the church organized baby runs to pick up these abandoned babies and brought them to nursing mothers who treated them as if they were their own. Yeah. And the pagans asked the question, where's all that love coming from? And actually, according to Cyprian, it's because of that and because of the plagues, Christianity in the early centuries swept North Africa. It's because in a plague like Corona, which was 
of course, the Black Death, much worse than Corona. Yeah. People died with hope, and the pagans said, where's all that hope coming from? So the Christians witnessed to their generation, and through their faith, they left a legacy that had a huge impact. And you and I need to do the same. And let's remember, though, as I said at the beginning of this interview, but that is not the role of the state. Uh, of course, the state should be compassionate if it can be. But the role of the state is to keep its citizens as safe as possible to make sure that nobody comes across the borders unless they've met certain requirements, certain basic requirements. Mm -hmm. And I think America has always been generous, but we cannot have open borders where anyone can come in and they can establish residence. Because after all, we all know that right now in America, all kinds of drugs and all kinds of criminals are crossing into the United States and our borders uh, people simply cannot keep up. That is yeah. not wise at all. And what we need to do is to recognize that. Yeah, that's good. And, and we can recognize that without negating the, the desire for a legal process where exactly. I, the, the, the mother you mentioned at the beginning with the child who's looking for a better life, you know, the, the, the Canadian, the South American, the whoever, the Eastern European fleeing communism in the 1970s or, uh, uh, you know, East Asia, you know, coming over here today, fleeing, fleeing radical communist policies, they can still come in according to a legal process. We don't have to negate that in order to say it's the government's job to keep its citizens safe and we need to enforce uh, a strong border policy. Yes. Yes. Uh, that I, I love it. It's it's rational. Um, we did have a question come in from Gospel Ambassador. Are you okay taking a question? Sure. So this is a question from Gospel Ambassador watching on YouTube. And you got to love that name, right? Uh, he says, does Orthodox Islam conflict with the American Constitution? If yes, should Muslim immigrants be instructed by the responsibles. Hmm. Gospel ambassador, I'm not sure what you mean by instructed by the responsibles. Probably Actually, he's talking about those who are responsible for immigration and citizenship. Okay, sure. Let, let's go with that then. So how would you yeah, respond? Exactly. If you, if you look at Orthodox Islam, of course it's contrary to our constitution. And once again, you know, this is very controversial, but in my yeah. opinion, now you're pushing buttons. No, I'm pushing buttons. <laughs> People should be willing to accept American values. Now, I think that most Muslims do. Uh, they hold on to Islam, but not in an orthodox, fundamentalistic kind of way. And so they can be admitted. And many of them, of course, have made good citizens. And we need to look at that. But if you come here, and again, I don't have the quote right before me, okay? But I've written a book in which the quote occurs, where you, where somebody says, we are not here to assimilate. We are actually here to take over. You know, Joel, a number of years ago, the FBI uncovered a document written by the Muslim Brotherhood on how they intended to take over America. It was yeah. 12 points. I have the small book because what was shown has been reprinted. It's probably online. Okay. Did you talk Number about one was what's that? The did you talk about this in your book, The Cross in the Shadow of the Crescent? I'm sure I did, yeah. It sounds very familiar. You you have a very good memory there, young man. And thank <laughs> you for thank you for letting your audience know that I've written a book entitled The Cross in the Shadow of the Crescent. Yes, and I recommend it. By the way, anyone watching or listening, <laughs> check that book out. Very good. And I've got it on my is, shelf somewhere. The point is, he said, we are not here to assimilate. And number one on their list was stealth jihad coming into America, but not assimilating, not assimilating, and insisting on improving their space. It didn't involve terrorism because terrorism can have a backlash. 
insisting on their space, pushing for their rights so that they are constantly expanding that. So as you and I are sitting here, uh, money is being used to build prayer rooms for Muslim students in schools. Now, could you possibly imagine money being used to build prayer rooms for Christians in schools? <laughs> Not at all. Not, Not at all. all. No way. So, so that is the way it is. Incrementally, yeah. And all the way it went through, you know, banking has to be changed and this has to be changed and so forth. And uh, the food that is offered has to meet certain requirements. So let's remember here that we may not be seeing much terrorism on the part of radical Islam. But what we are seeing is incrementally advantages being taken. And if I might summarize, I once saw a Muslim demonstration many years ago, I saw it on TV, where the sign said, we will use the freedoms of the Constitution to destroy the Constitution. Hmm. So you see, that's the, that's the challenge of freedom, where we have freedom, but you're also free to write books against freedom. Right. And in my book, We Will Not Be Silenced, I talk about somebody who wrote a book against freedom of speech, all the while using freedom of speech to write his book. Right. So what you do is you take advantage of the fact that we have freedom, but you use it ultimately to subvert freedom. Right. But that's the risk that freedom has. You know, we have to allow freedom of speech. We have to allow freedom of ideas, even if they if we fear that ultimately they might undermine us. Yeah, and I can't help but see an opportunity here as well. As long as we have freedom of speech, we have freedom of thought. As Christians, we understand that clear thinking, right thinking, true liberty, these things only come through Christ. And so um, I love what you said earlier, Pastor Lutzer, about we do not need freedom of religion in order to be faithful. But right now, while there is still daylight, if you will. We do have freedom of religion, and and we actually can use this opportunity to spread the gospel. And we, if, as long as we're going to have people pouring in our our nation, you know, I'm I'm thinking from a gospel pragmatism, if you will. Um, now, sort of transitioning away from what ought to be our national policy to thinking, how do we make the most of this as as believers? You know, do you see this as a as a time for opportunity for evangelism, you know, Joel? I know a situation in which one person gathered with a number of other believers and have prayed a lot, and they are having a marvelous opportunity with Syrian refugees. They are going into their homes. They're sharing vegetables and food. They are praying with them. They are building bridges remarkably. And many of these Syrians have said, we want to turn to Jesus Christ because of the witness of these people. That should be happening throughout all of America, throughout all of America. Amen. We should have churches and individuals ministering, building bridges. You know, most churches feel more comfortable sending missions over, missionaries over to Timbuktu, so to speak. And the fact is God has brought them to us and he's put them on our doorstep. And we're ignoring them. You'd be surprised at the number of people who don't want to have, to have anything to do with this when they could be missionaries exactly where God has planted them. So this is a marvelous opportunity that God has given us. And once again, it's the role of the church. It is so important to show that love and that compassion and that caring yeah. to a very hurting and broken world. And that's where that distinction between church and state really comes into clear focus. And, exactly. and I think is a very good thing because the the state needs to, I think if the one thing is clear about policy here, the state needs to enforce clear, sensible, logical border policy, immigration policy, the church, on the other hand, that's not our job. Our job is to disciple the nations. And like you said, if God's going to bring the nations from Timbuktu here, we, you know, this is our chance. That's so the state needs to do what it does, but whether or not the state is doing what it's supposed to do, we don't need the state's faithfulness for us to be faithful in, in what Jesus has called us to do. 
right? Exactly. And one other thing, though, I was going to say, you know, when you talk about some Christians, they say politics isn't important. Yeah, sure. Well, really, look at the difference between South Korea and North Korea. <laughs> right. South Korea, at one time, about 20% evangelical. Now, some have said that that's gone down and there are some issues. But North Korea, I remember some Koreans coming to Moody Church a number of years ago. I asked them about the church in North Korea. They hear bits and pieces, but basically communism has so destroyed the freedom of religion and freedom of thought that there is a very small remnant. I'm saying yeah. two things, and neither is contradictory. Number one, freedom is very, very important. Let's not let go of that. But I'm also saying that if you don't have freedom, you can still be faithful. And at this moment, when we still have freedom, we should be welcoming people into our homes from other countries, building bridges, sharing Christ with them. Amen. Absolutely. Well, Pastor Lutzer, um, I really appreciate this. Thank you for coming on. Uh, you know, you, you said, how did I give you the honor of talking about this topic? Well, there are very few people that I'd rather have on to talk about this. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, thank you for taking the questions. Thank you for sharing some, some good, solid biblical wisdom. Uh, did you, did you allude to the fact before we wrap up here, are you working on another project right now? Yes, I am. Well, first of all, I'm not surprised. Second of all, to, uh, this is a serious question. Do you ever sleep? <laughs> I try to. Um, Joel, when I write a book like the one, um, we will not be silenced. It is being widely read. I just heard last week that there are four generals in our army who are reading it independently and then phoning one another to discuss it. Wow. That is so satisfying to me that unless you're motivated and satisfied, you know, you'll never write. Now, there are those who think they have the gift of writing, and apparently nobody has the gift of reading. <laughs> so. Right. If if God has given me that gift, I try to exercise. And now in the midst of that, I'm traveling, I'm doing lots of interviews and so forth. But in the time that I have, and it's taking a long time, I mean, you don't write a book like that in a couple of weeks, but rather a couple of months. Right. And then you revise it and you keep working at it. But yes, I'm working on another book, but I'm not going to tell you the title. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was hoping for the exclusive scoop here. The exclusive scoop. Well, you know what? You have me back in a couple of months, and I'll give you the very exclusive scoop. I, I, you, you know, you said something similar last time you were on. I took you up on it, so I will absolutely just be careful what you wish for because I will have you on <laughs> to talk about it again. All right. Um, but I, I, yeah, I'd love to. That would be wonderful. That'd be great. So, um, all right. Well. Pastor Lutzer, uh, I'll wrap things up here, but thank you again for, for coming on. I cannot wait to have you on next time. Uh, as always, it was very helpful. Thank you very much. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you too. All right. Well, you've just watched Pastor Erwin Lutzer talk about this very controversial subject and yet very important subject for Christians to be thinking about right now, immigration. If you're just joining us now, if you're watching the live stream, can I make a recommendation? Go back to the beginning. Go back to the first a uh, few minutes of our dialogue together. Watch this. Even if you if you don't have a lot of time, go back and watch it at 1.5 speed. But get this information because we talked about a biblical view of immigration. We talked about the distinction between church and state and the, the different roles that each of those institutions has, if I can call them institutions. And um, I know you're going to hear something helpful. Now, if you, if you enjoy the work that we're doing here, can I just, um, can I, can I request that you go to our website, our giving site, give.crew.org slash 1018841. Give.crew.org slash 1018841. 
my family and I, we are support raising missionaries. Now, we haven't been sent to East Asia or Turkey. We are here homebound in the United States. And um, the, the Lord really is bringing the nations to us. And our job is to equip the local church and believers to explain, share, and defend the Christian message so that we can see the Great Commission fulfilled. And we want to help you fulfill your piece of the Great Commission. And so to help you do that, we're creating resources, podcasts, articles, and uh, videos. Right now, we're working on a curriculum for 8th through 12th graders, teaching them biblical presuppositional apologetics. And uh, that's a, a project that is sort of my passion project right now. Uh, very much into that. I'm also working on a uh, an apologetics book that's going to follow that curriculum. And uh, these are all projects that we are looking forward to rolling out in the next year. Um, and if you didn't have reason already to tune into future episodes of the ThinkPod, we now have it on public record that Pastor Erwin Lutzer is going to give us the official scoop of his next book next time he comes on. So we can look forward to that. Uh, my thanks again to Pastor Lutzer. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Um, if you haven't done so yet, give us an honest five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us get the word out there. But uh, but thank you for watching. I hope you heard something helpful. I know I certainly did. Remember, this is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the road of your spiritual journey. And as always, until next time, I hope it made you think. <laughs>